Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. How you doing tonight, my Brie? I'm so great. Hello. I am glad to be here and I'm glad to have a little bit of uh, alien therapy time. I don't know how you're feeling, but it's much needed this week. So many things on my mind, so I'm excited. All right, Brie, what are we talking about tonight? I figured that we should jump into Nordics because in this last episode that we released on Friday, we kept talking about Nordics when it came to Venusians. And I thought this would be a great way to cover so many different ET stories, things that we've heard about Nordics in general. You know, it kind of stems out into all of these things. Not only that, but with that stemming out, you have a lot of crossovers coming up and gets a little bit interesting. Uh, Murky. Very murky. Murky is a good word for it. Yeah. So... When we talk about Nordics, we are referring to a group of ET races that all fit the same profile of looking like a Caucasian human, really. But they are more specifically a pale-skinned, blue-eyed, either blonde to white hair. And here on Earth, we would refer that to a Nordic person, like Scandinavian or Aryan. Ooh, Aryan, eh? You want to say Aryan? Should I not? <laughs> Gets a little Nazi, but all right. <laughs> Sounds very master racy to me. <laughs> but that's what they were obsessed with. So that's also really interesting to bring that up. These Nordics are about six to seven feet tall. Their eyes are usually larger than ours. Maybe their face is a bit more narrow. But overall, they are human enough to look like another one of us, you know? In fact, there have been many stories of these Nordics walking around among us. Among us. Well, you know, not only walking around among us, but a lot of the people who have come into contact with these ETs say that the Nordics maybe necessarily helped us along genetically, which is maybe why we have so many different races of people now. I mean, if you go back and you look at our history, we've always said over and over again that our ancestors are of darker skin tone. And it's very interesting that we started to get these very lighter skin tones as time went on. And a lot of people say that maybe these Nordics came down and uh, blended our two DNA together. It makes perfect sense to me. But these people I've heard repeatedly are attractive. Oh, very. That's something very overwhelmingly heard that they're very attractive. And it goes into that territory where we're talking about a lot of alien sexy time going on, I think. It's usually with the Nordic aliens. Yes, they look like sexy white people. <laughs> Maybe with red hair and red bushes. Uh, <laughs> Does that flash back to our McChicken? Okay. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a long time ago, but that's that's funny because again, like you said, it ties and it crosses over with so many things. Mm-hmm. Majority of these Nordic races are reported to be extremely kind and compassionate. They're known for spreading awareness about how we need to treat our planet better and how to better interact with each other. I definitely think that they're starting to sound like maybe they're like some space hippies. You know what I'm saying? Most certainly, because they speak about peace and transcending our selfish behavior. And they really seem to stress on the importance of our spiritual evolution, that they're overall just here to assist us along the way. And they usually communicate telepathically. That's definitely something over and over again we hear about. But they overall seem to generate and radiate out this feeling of love. Just being in their presence, people talk so much about feeling so loved and almost like this very angelic-like being that's really just around to assist us and help us because they care. I definitely say throughout my research, a, a word that kept coming up to describe Nordics would definitely be angelic. And I definitely think there are a lot of ties to our religion that a lot of people say that Nordics had a very big influence on people like Jesus and Buddha and Mohammed and those kind of people. And saying that maybe what they mistook for angels or messengers of God were the Nordic people. That's actually really interesting that you bring up Jesus because one of the things you just said was how 
in our origins as humans, we were kind of dark-skinned. And then all of a sudden, we're light-skinned. And that's also the case with Jesus. He was supposed to be very dark, Israeli-looking. And then all of a sudden, we just decided he was, like, white, with blonde hair, with blue eyes. It doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, we made him look Nordic. And made him look very angelic. Dun-dun-dun! Both of our faces, no one can see our faces, but we're both very like, wow, we just came to an interesting conclusion. You know, you know what it is? I'll describe it for you perfectly. You know how when you see a dog and then you hear a squeaky sound and it like cocks its head? That's what we both just did. We we're like, oh, great explanation. So this is going to stem out into so many things. We have a lot to talk about. So buckle up. All right, Jamie, you take us through our journey into the cosmos. All right. So we're going to start off with a a pretty famous UFO story. I would be I would be flabbergasted if our listeners didn't know about this story. None other than the Travis Walton abduction. So on November 5th, 1975, Travis Walton was out at work and he was a logger. And I find a little bit of an interesting tie right here because what's that one UFO case on the island where they were looking at for logs and then they saw a UFO? Maury's Island. So Maury's Island, right? I'm already seeing a little bit of a parallel. Are lumberjacks maybe more prone to uh, seeing UFOs? I don't know. (laughs) Men with wood. Okay. So anyways, he's out in Arizona in the middle of nowhere cutting down trees, him and his crew. And the day ends and they all hop into a truck together. And there's seven of them in total, including Travis. And they're on their way down from the mountain from their nice job, you know, smoking cigarettes, wind blowing, probably listening to some sweet jams. And then all of a sudden they start to see this kind of bright spot in the sky. And at first they think it's like the sun, but then they're like, wait, the sun has already gone down. Like it's dark outside. Like that's not the sun outside. And they stop to pull over to get a better look at it. And Travis decides, fuck this shit. I'm getting out of the car. I need to know what's going on. And everyone else in the car is like, Travis, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're fucking crazy. Get back in the car. And he goes out and he, he's starting to walk out towards it. And all of a sudden he gets kind of stunned and he, he can't move. And the guys inside of the truck see this blue beam come down and suck him up into the UFO. And they take off. They're like, I'm not waiting around for no one. I'm not about this life. They take <laughs> off. And as they're speeding away, they're kind of like, oh shit. Hey guys, we kind of just left Travis there. He's kind of just hanging out. Maybe we should go back. So they go to the next town over, tell the police, and they go back. And of course, by the time they go back, Travis is gone. Now, there's a whole bunch of weirdness around this part of the story. Pretty much the cops thought that his friends murdered him. And they gave him like polygraph tests. And five out of the six people passed a polygraph test. The sixth person did not technically fail it. It was just inconclusive. He was very, very emotional. And all of them said a UFO abducted him and they all passed the polygraph. And the police officers said that these people believe Travis was abducted by a UFO. He didn't necessarily say a UFO abduction happened, but he said these people, it's what they believe happened. And that's all that we can go off at this point. And so it ended up turning into one of the largest manhunts in Arizona history. And people were searching in droves for him. Well, he wasn't dead. Let me tell you. He showed up on the highway five goddamn days later, 12 pounds lighter, malnourished, and very confused, but kind of very aware of what was happening. Was he naked? I feel like he would be. Uh, You know what? They never say if he was naked or not. And that's a question a lot of people ask, which is funny. I, I believe he did have his clothes on. So Travis comes back down and, you know, he's freaked out. He gets settled in at home after the police are like, you know, WTF, what's going on? And he tells them this experience that he was up in this UFO. He had no idea that five days has passed. He thought it was maybe a few hours. So we have some time dilation, some missing time going on here. And the way he said the encounter, because he really truly believed it was only a few hours, he basically said he woke up inside the UFO, inside of a room that looked like a hospital, very typical. And he woke up surrounded by these kind of very gray looking, bald headed, big eyed, no hair aliens that are very typical, wearing these brown coveralls, you know, maybe doing an examination on him. And he immediately got freaked out, jumped up, reached behind him and grabbed this kind of like glass cylinder and was like trying to attack all of the aliens. And that's when a kind of human-looking thing wearing some type of a helmet came into the room and led Travis out. 
Travis doesn't necessarily say in the beginning that it was a Nordic alien. I think that's kind of a conclusion he came to a little bit later. But in the moment, he assumed it was just another human. That's how I think similar these Nordics and humans look alike. It was like it, what that was that wasn't an alien to him. That was a human. So he he described this this being as taking him to the other room, and he immediately felt like this calming presence. It never communicated with him. He was talking. He asked tons of questions. It never said anything, telepathic or not. He just felt this overwhelming calming presence, and that's when this being had three other human-looking beings come out and put a plastic mask over his face. And then he remembers nothing else until he found himself on the side of the highway. That's so crazy. Again, with the calming sensation, it's almost like these Nordics, I don't know, maybe that's like a switch that they put on, but especially for an abduction experience, that would be very helpful to have someone around that's just like, hey, chill out, I'm here, everything's fine. I'm sure he was freaking the fuck out. I, I just think that story is pretty crazy. When, you know, and after it all happened, he did do try to do like some hypnotic regression and things like that. And he did say that he never remembered anything else. The hypnotism helped him articulate it more clearly, but that's the only part of the experience he remembers. He has never claimed to come out and like magically remembered some things of like, oh my God, this is what happened. And he sticks very true to his story to this day. You know, he just recently did an episode with Joe Rogan. Um, it was like a two and a half hour long episode. It's a little hard to get through. I won't lie. It was a little, there's a lot, <laughs> but he's true to his story to this day and it's never changed. It's never wavered. And the you know, other six guys, same thing. They they saw what they saw. What I think is also really fascinating about this story is that when Travis was first talking about it, he was very frightened because that's a very traumatic experience. Whether or not if he remembers anything specifically happened to him, it's extremely traumatizing. I don't think anyone can argue that. But I find it fascinating that over time, he started to see it as a positive experience. That maybe he was just overly scared, like anyone would be. But then he looks back and feels like, actually, they took me up because I was hit by that beam of light when the ship came over. Obviously, there's going to be some type of radiation or whatever. So they were healing him, opposed to abducting him to run, you know, examinations and stuff. They picked him up to heal him. And that, of course, would change your viewpoint on the whole experience. And he says over and over again inside interviews, he says, I I now believe that they never had any ill intent towards me when I was in that room. And that's why they were reacting to me the way that they were, because they didn't understand how I was freaking out. Like they didn't, there was no danger. So they didn't understand what was happening. Another aspect to the story is the movie Fire in the Sky. I know tons of people have seen that movie. It's basically like a horror movie. It's about Travis's experience, but they paint these ETs as these gruesome little creatures and they're putting him through these these awful maneuvers and putting the contraption over his face and the whole thing is terrifying you know they have these little things that are peeling his eyelids back shoving things down his throat the movie portrays this experience absolutely horrifying and I think it's a really good example of how Hollywood takes a situation when it has to do with aliens and ETs and spins it in a way to make it absolutely terrifying. And people think of that story or like abductions in that sort of framework. Just awful. They're putting you through a horrific experience. So it's really helpful to know the true story. I know plenty of people that don't follow aliens and, and ufology and whatnot, but if you talk to them, they'll say like, oh, I've seen fire in the sky, like abductions, that's awful, all these things. And then it's helpful to tell them, well, the true story doesn't go that way. It wasn't as awful as they made it seem. And Travis is adamant to this day, like the, the movie is not accurate. There are things inside of it that, you know, did not happen. And that's Hollywood taking artistic liberty, liberties and changing things. And to this day, he talks about wanting to remake the movie in the actual way that it happened. I mean, that would be so amazing to see, but... I can't see them picking that up because from their viewpoint, it's like, well, how is that going to sell? Some ETs come to help you out and you're happy about it and then what, you know? But one thing I do like about the story is like you said, that they all took these polygraphs and they all passed. And that is something that they put in the movie and that I like. I think that's a great form of evidence 
Obviously, you could lie and get away with it, but I think for the average person, it's very difficult to keep the same type of composure and not have any type of emotional reaction when you're lying. I wouldn't be able to do it at least. So do you want to fact or sci-fi this one, Brie? I'm facting it. I'm facting it as well. Yes. Yes. I'm trying to work on my side picking. And and, and uh, not being so middle bitchy? I mean, I love being a middle bitch, and I find myself always, even when I want to fax something, there's a voice in my head that always comes up with something, you know, like a but. <laughs> so I'm happy that I can for sure fact that one. All right, Brie, where are you taking us next on today's cosmic journey? We're going to Sydney, Australia. Oh, some Aussies Hot 100. We're going down under to Australia. <laughs> Did I say that right? Australia. Australia. <laughs> shout out Bobby. Bobby or shout out Kesslin? Bobby. Bobby. Oh, that Bobby. Different Bobby than our usual Bobby that we harass. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a really interesting story. This is not a abduction story, but this is a very strange visitation story. Like I said, takes place in Sydney, Australia. This is a story of a man named Peter Curry. <laughs> You're like, this is a story <laughs> You're say of a girl named Lucky. This is a story about Peter Curry. <laughs> He's so lucky. He's, He's a, a star. star. Okay, we gotta stay on track right now. Never. In July of 1992, Peter is awakened in the middle of the night and is completely paralyzed. He finds a naked woman straddling him. And this woman is very blonde. Her skin is milk colored. She has these big eyes that are two to three times larger than ours. I thought you were going to say titties. Oh my God. No, that's, <laughs> that's in a second though. Hold up. <laughs> so her eyes are about two to three times larger than ours. She has a narrow face. She has very high cheekbones and a pointy chin. He looks at the edge of the bed and notices that there's another woman there, but this woman looks a bit more Asian and she's just watching. So he tries to lean forward, but this lady... What the fuck was that, Jamie? He is the watching lady. It's your fucking face. At this point, I'm like, I'm narrating. I was like, I was like acting it out. I was like... Maybe we need to switch to like YouTube videos and not just a podcast. Ooh. This might be more entertaining. Okay, anyway. So he tries to lean forward, but this woman, the one straddling him, puts her hand behind his head and pushes his face into her left hip. Oh, wow. He bites her, what he thinks is most likely a nipple, and he could tell that this was like real human flesh. It was like flesh. So this isn't like some weird scaly milk-colored being. This is your typical type of Nordic with normal human flesh-like skin. So are you telling me, Brie, that this man was like, listen, I've had human titty in my mouth before, and I'm telling you, that was human titty. That was real human flesh type titty. I get you. I get you. Oh, to have to have it to have a human fleshy titty in my mouth. Ugh. He was loving it. So I'm just kidding. I really have no idea. I'm <laughs> guessing that he did it. It's honestly the way he describes it. Sounds like he's not into it. Like he didn't say like she let me suckle upon her bosom. He was like he was like, you know, she shoved her head, my head into her titty. It was weird. Or maybe he's just giving us that version because, like, his wife is there and he's like, hey, honey, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I tried to get out. But, like, really secretly, he was like, boys, let me tell you, that alien pussy, out of this world. Oh, my God. Anyways, let's get back on track to the human flesh. So he bites the tit. It doesn't bleed, but it does shoot down his throat a acid-like liquid, almost like a chemical, down his throat. And he starts violently coughing. Yummy. Mother's milk. Mommy's milk. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. So this poor guy is like struggling, coughing, and then he picks up in his head telepathically that he can tell the communication between the two women. And they're saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. Something's wrong. And the lady that is straddling him puts her hands on her stomach, points to the sky, and then vanishes. She's like, ha ha ha, I got your baby. Whoosh. Exactly. Got what I needed. Toodles. So this poor Peter, like that's not traumatizing enough. He is left with an erection that lasts for six hours and he describes it as quite painful. I mean, you did just have a weird alien like spit acid into your mouth. So like I could only imagine like what her pussy juice like did to his dick. 
And, like, did she leave him high and dry? Like, here on Earth, we call that, like, a tease. Did she give him blue balls? Like, what's going on? Blue balls. I don't know, but I feel so bad for this guy. He sees in his foreskin, he notices that there are two embedded hairs. And that shit hurts to take out as well. It's basically like a splinter of two hairs. No, thank you. No, thank you at all. That could have staph. That's how you can easily get a staph infection, just so everyone knows, by baby pieces of hair. If it embeds in your skin and it has staph, you can get staph. Fun fact of the day. It's fun fact of the day. So poor Peter, he's going through agony. He's got this erection. It hurts. He has these hairs. It hurts. He pulls them out and he's like, this shit is so light colored that has to be from that chick it has to be from these ladies so peter takes these hair strands to an independent genealogy lab for testing and a biomolecular chemist horace drew examines the dna structure of these strands oddly enough peter then finds himself in basically like a what he described as a forensic investigation These scientists show up at his house. They want samples of his hair and a woman, I'm guessing is his wife, because he just names her name. I'm guessing it's his wife. They want their hair strand samples. They want samples of blood. And I'm guessing just to compare to what this hair strand is. The conclusion to the DNA results of this hair strand is almost unexplainable. Not only does it not match Peter's, but what's even stranger is that it's basically not like anyone else's hair. It's optically clear, like fishing wire, and normal human hair, even if your hair is gray, it still has a pigment of like brown or even like blonde or dark hair. This has absolutely, like we're not talking like any melanin in that hair. And a normal human hair only has one DNA type in that hair strand. And what's strange about this strand is that there's a very rare Chinese lineage, about 0.1%, and then about 1% of ethnic Chinese. The other DNA structure that is detected was that of a blue-eyed, light-skinned Celtic lineage. It's an old Gaelic DNA lineage. It's extremely rare. It's beyond unusual. It's not anything that we have around us. I mean, we're talking like ancient, ancient, ancient times. Like, very, very, very strange. So, this is overall called like a piece of hair from an alien. They don't understand how these DNAs were in the strand, where the hell it could have come from. He couldn't have picked it up anywhere around here. I mean, it's like beyond rare. Yeah, like it's not like he like went up to the fucking mountains and was like, I'm going to pluck this hair off this hair lady. And even if he did, that lineage, like it's not around anymore. So that's what's even more strange is like, well, how the hell did this come from? And even in his results, it said that it must have come from a person that is identical to what he described was straddling him. This Nordic, strange, alien looking lady. And he takes a polygraph test and passes flying colors. So we have another polygraph test here. We have another polygraph test here where there's literally physical evidence. And this also ties back to one thing that you were mentioning earlier about the seeding of humankind. If this is an an extremely ancient type of DNA... How is this popping up now? And then it's interesting to think about what she was doing. Like she was straddling him, touching to her stomach, pointing to the air like star babies. This has some type of like hybridization story written all over it. You know, and and it's starting to sound very similar to me as well to, you know, I cracked a joke at the beginning about the alien with the red hair and and the red fire crotch, but these two experiences not only sexual, but have a lot of other similarities, it seems, as well. Absolutely. So based off of this extremely rare, what I consider to be evidence and story and crossover, would you factor sci-fi this? You know what? I'm going to fact this one as well. Yo, I'm going to fact it too. You know what's funny is we we make all these jokes about Venusians and Venus and shit, and like we're we're fa- we're facting two kind of Venusian Venusy stories. We're like, fuck it, fact it, fact it, right off the bat. I know, but I just can't. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's okay because I feel like I feel like we're about to go down a rabbit hole where we're gonna start to to sci-fi some things. So that's all right. So Jamie, why don't you take us on over to the dark side of the moon? <laughs> The dark side of the moon is an understatement on this one. So we're going to be talking about someone named Howard Menger. And oh man, oh buddy, let me tell you. 
I love ufologists. I really do. <laughs> but every once in a while, we get one where I just can't, I can't sink my teeth into him. I tried so hard, but I just, he, he's an interesting one. And this, his story is, is really, truly a wild one. So in the mid fifties, uh, this guy Howard uh, and his wife, Connie, transformed a very small town in New Jersey into one of the biggest UFO hotspots in the world of its time. He is definitely compared to George Adamski in a sense of he was the East Coast version of somebody who stepped out and made it possible for other people to come out and talk about their UFO experiences. And he even has a little bit of George Van Tassel in there because he most definitely had his own conferences and would have UFO sighting gatherings happening at his property, at his ranch constantly all the time. He was always has open arms to have people come out there and experience what he called, you know, aliens and UFOs and things like that. So yeah, right in that time, the 50s, like we kind of covered uh, last week. It's it's the same period of George Adamski. Again, George Adamski start, started this all, and then this is a, a new version of it, but over on the East Coast area. So in addition to having all of these conferences and things like that, another thing that Howard has is Howard has hundreds of people who have been to his property and have had experiences and are witnesses to what was going on. They would see things like lights and crafts. And at one point, they even saw beings. Howard would come down and say, oh, they're comfortable enough now and a being would come out 300, 400 feet away and would appear to glide across his meadow and go over fences and things that were there. And these people were amazed by it. And even at one point, a psychologist from the town went and investigated these people and started talking to them and doing his own independent research and was like, all these people are telling the truth. These people, they saw these things. And so Howard started to have this really big backing behind him. And one of the big things that happened at these kind of conferences he had at his house is he had a very, very special guest walk right in to one of his little UFO backyard conferences. And you're never going to believe who it is, Brie. Marilyn Monroe. Very close. Valiant Thor. Ooh, really? <laughs> so... I don't know if you remember this in our Valiant Thor episode, but we had mentioned that Valiant Thor had gone to a UFO conference and the picture and there was pictures taken. That was at Howard's UFO conference. Wow. Yeah. Howard's was the pad. Yeah, it was the pad. And so he had this Venusian show up and and talk to all these people and there was photos and pictures taken. And he to this day, not to this day, because he's dead rip. <laughs> <laughs> But he claimed up until he died that Valiant Thor visited his ranch and the people who were there all also agreed and said, yeah, he was there. I remember that conference. I remember that talk. I can remember that speech that day. And I remember Valiant Thor being there. How crazy. One of the ways that Howard also kind of reaches out into the other sides of this cosmos is he spent a lot of time in the mid-50s on a radio show called Long John Nebel Radio. And it was kind of the precursor to what we consider like the Art Bell show today. Like there would be no Art Bell show if it wasn't for Long John Nebel. And it was this show that aired at five o'clock in the morning and he would talk about spooky things. And somebody who came on very frequently was Howard. And he was very known in the East Coast area. People would tune in to listen to Howard's stories. He sounds like a celebrity. He was definitely celebrity of his area. Like hands down, he was a celebrity. Now, he also had a lot of photos that were George. Dimsky style, although I have to admit they are way, way worse than George Dimsky's ever were. Like, <laughs> they're really bad. And I guess eventually over time is one thing that happened with Howard is Howard's stories started to change. Like the way he talked about things and, and the way he like communicated with aliens would completely change and where he thought they even came from would completely change. So... <laughs> He has these pictures and he always swore by them. He put them on the back of his books. He was like, these are real evidence. He even at one point claimed that the FBI from New Jersey came to his house and stole like pictures and videos from him because it was a national security threat. His stuff was that serious. And then later in life, he kind of let it slip and admitted kind of sort of in an interview that all of those pictures were actually drawings that he had recreated and then he had took pictures of them. Wow. Interesting, right? That's the problem with what sounds like when someone kind of lies. You have to keep up with those lies. Well, and you know, what's interesting is his profession at the time, he owned a sign printing shop. Oh my God. This isn't looking good. Yeah, so then you start to connect those together and you're like, ah, skirt. And then he's throwing in, well, I don't have, I don't have the real pictures because the government came in and took them, the FBI. I came in and took him over from my 
And it wasn't just Howard who was into this. His wife was also very into it, who had her own experiences. She actually wrote a book that came out before Howard came out about his story under a pen name. So it wasn't her real name. And then the two of them ended up getting married. And then he realized that her book was true and that he was actually a Venusian alien who was reincarnated on Earth. Oh, wow. Meant to be. Yeah. He, he had, his, his stuff is all over the place. He claimed to the first time he ever saw one of these kind of Nordic Venusian, whatever we want to call them, women is when he was 10 years old and they came to her and he came, they, they came to him all the time. All of these aliens, he started off by saying that they were Nordics slash Venusians from Venus. And then as time went on and he got older, he decided that they were no longer from Venus and they were no longer technically Venusians or Nordics per se. They were just some sort of aliens that looked like humans and that they have been here over the millions of years and that they seeded life here on earth, that they are basically our gods and what all our religious texts talk about are these human-like people who came here and literally made us who we are today. He says that they come back in cycle every couple thousand years and that the last time they were supposed to be here was in 2012, but I believe he passed away in like 2007 or nine. So he he didn't get to see him this next time they came back. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Howard wrote a bunch of books and he did this literally up until he died until, you know, in 2009, until he passed away, he was still talking about all these things. And unfortunately, people started to pick his stuff apart. It's interesting. There's not a lot of information about him on the internet. It seems like they want to take a lot of that off. A lot of like George Dimsky. A lot of the documentaries about him are older and really hard to find, but there is stuff out there. And the funny part is, is as, as much as a lot of ufologists look into a story today and, and call it a little bit more bullshit, the people in New Jersey who were around him and experienced what they experienced around him have nothing but wonderful things to say about him to this day. It was actually funny. One of the guys who was describing him described him the way that we would describe Josh as like this tall, quiet, only speaks when has something important to say. And I was like, mm, Josh vibes. Yes, yes. And I totally understood what he was saying, what they were saying. And they were like, you know, a person like that isn't going to come out and talk about aliens and not and not mean it. And so you have this, this thing where it's a little bit opposite of George Dimsky, where you have instead of ever when thinking that he's full of shit, most people think that he's very not full of shit. And it's just been over time that things have started to unravel. But, you know, he really convinced the people around him they experienced whatever it is that they experienced. Well, that leaves me really tied up into the story unless things change because my mind starts to go like, well, maybe this person is telling the truth and then maybe they're getting just like dementia. So the stories change just slightly. You know, and that could be a big part of it too. But, you know, one thing that he did always say time and time again is that whether or not he called them Venusians or, you know, Nordics or what they were is they had those same type of principles that they were here. They were talking about love and peace and they were here to help us and to guide us as maybe these like motherly and fatherly kind of figures and that they were very beautiful with blonde hair and blue eyes and that description of what Nordics all have described about them every time somebody talks about them. Very interesting. One other thing about Howard that is very interesting is that Howard took a big chunk of time off of doing these conferences and talking about aliens. I mean, I'm talking like a five, six year period where he just, he was not in the public eye, nothing. And he claims that it was because he went and started working for the government and was building UFOs and that he successfully built multiple UFOs and that the only reason he stepped away from the alien world was because it was a national security threat again. And so he had to stop talking about it. And then when he finally quit working for the government and making UFOs, he decided to come back and start doing the UFO circuit again. All right, so now that you know that he apparently built UFOs, Brie, are you going to factor sci-fi this? I'm sci-fiing it. I can't, this one's this one's a sci-fi to me. I'm going to sci-fi it as well. You got weird government UFOs. Yeah, and then Valiant Thor, just no, that's a bad bone. And, you know, I would have given him the benefit of the doubt because of his people being like, no, he was great and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. But it just doesn't add up very well. Working at a printing store, I mean, come on. How do you go from working at a printing store to building UFOs? There's no way. Why? Just because you have the insider information? No. No. All right, Brie, where are we going on our last stop of our cosmic journey? We're going to Switzerland. Oh, the Swiss. That's not a Swiss accent. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I have no idea what the Swiss accent is. I know Me they either. speak German, or at least Billy speaks German. I know that there's Swiss cheese. <laughs> We're going to Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes Switzerland. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes Switzerland. Girl, that is not a song. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave Brittany alone. Leave Brittany alone. All right. We're going to cover... Billy Meyer. Ooh, the way you said that was just like, ugh. Billy Meyer is probably the most controversial, most debated, as well as most documented type of case. And he's a big one. I felt like this would be a great time to cover this because we are talking about Nordics. And Billy's real name is Edward Albert Meyer. He was born in 1937. He's still alive, so he's 84 years old. And if you thought your other story was wild, this is beyond wild. His past is quite colorful. I feel like it's good to mention some of the things about his past. It really paints a picture of where he's been and where he is now. Also kind of adds a little bit to all the stories. It's just really interesting wild bits that to me seems like they're just thrown in there as his life story. And I just feel like that adds to the drama of everything. You know, I like it when you spill the tea, so spill the tea. I'm just going to like name off just a few things about this man. Give me give me just a little handful. Yeah. Okay. So he once joined the French Legion. He went to jail quite a few times. One of them for hitting a woman with a towel. Although he claims that she hit him first. So she hit him with a towel and then he was like, bitch, no, I hit you back and then went to jail. Who knows if that's really the whole story. Uh, He was also a snake trainer. He was also an assassin. He went by the name The Phantom. (laughs) So he was known as The Phantom. He was the real life Swiss army knife. Uh, (laughs) At this point, can we just say that he is Jack the Ripper and also the Zodiac Killer? Uh, I mean, I would believe it at this point. The poor guy only has one arm because in 1965, he had a bus accident in Turkey. And about the 1970s is when he starts to come out about his contacts. So he's a little late to the game. (sighs) Yeah. So, but see, uh, okay. (laughs) Billy claims that his encounters started in 1942 when he was only five years old. And he met an ET named Svaf. Spoff was a playaren. The playaren are a species that is Nordic and they are from and towards the Pleiadian star system. Oh, wow. Yes. And they have the same type of backstory as other Pleiadians and also these other Nordics that you were talking about. They helped seed the world, that there's billions of them everywhere. They're commonly talked about as being human as well. So even though they're Playaren, they're just other human beings. It's just that they're from the Playaren and Pleiadian star system. He has this contact, this, this ET named Svaf. He becomes really close with Svaf. He tells him all these things. And then later in life, he meets this priest who is also like a mentor to him. And this priest has also had, allegedly, a telepathic communication with Svaf as well. That was meant to guide Billy along his way and and his his communications with Svaf. And over time, Svaf dies about 1953. And he starts a new contact with Askit. Did you say Askit? Yeah. Like Ask It. They're like, is that an ET? I don't know. Ask it. <laughs> oh wow. That's her name, Ask It. And that's probably the most well known, other than Spoth, that's probably the biggest ET he speaks of because he does say over time a lot of different ETs from the play RNs come and go. But Ask It and Spoth were probably like the most influential on him. After Ask It, he also is in contact with, I don't know how to even say this. It's like Sam J's. It's S E M J A S E. Sam J. Sam J. Sam J. Sam J. Sam J. Sam J. Was the granddaughter of Svoth. And so it's almost like everyone in the in the family comes to see him over time. And that's also the name that he decides to name Samjay Silver Star Center, which is his organization's headquarters in Switzerland. So maybe this is where this uh, white race of people came from. They're space people. Earth people brown, space people white. <laughs> Please don't put that on podcast. <laughs> He really, over time, just learned so much from the Playarins. I mean, they tell him, like, there's 120 billion Playarins across the universe, and they all look Nordic. They all look like Nordic humans. 
I can't believe it. He travels the world with Asket. Asket takes him, like I said, all over the world. He meets Saddam Hussein. He meets Gandhi. He meets all these world leaders as well as Jesus. The Playarans tell him that they're seeding children and they look for someone to choose. And they chose Billy as the seventh prophet. And so as the line goes, there's Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, who he claims is Jesus. We'll get back to that. Muhammad, and then Billy Meyer. So Billy Meyer is our seventh prophet that's been given to us. We're getting we're getting into real culty cult land here, I feel like. Absolutely. He travels, meets with Jesus because, you know, he's also chosen. And then what's really interesting is he spends some time in Jerusalem and he's with his priest mentor. They come across this like hole and he gets this urge to investigate it like telepathically. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's in that hole? Wait, wait, wait. Did he find the Holy Grail? Close. Oh, okay. What he finds is the abandoned tomb of Jesus. Oh, hell no. <laughs> hell no. There, there you go. To the no, no, no. no hell to the no. no. <laughs> so along with, the, with missing books from the Bible. And this is basically like the alien version of the Bible. Was his name Billy Meyer inside of these books as the seventh prophet? <laughs> you know what? He doesn't even name that he's in there. It's just supposed to be like... Back in the day, this is the true story of the Bible. The Playarans led him to this hole to dig up Jesus's tomb and then like have the books. And it's called the Telemund of Emmanuel because Emmanuel is supposedly Jesus. Jesus. The vibes are so bad. The vibes are just, they're not good already. It's very interesting. It's very UFO-y with everything. It's like the UFO version. Instead of Jesus, you know how the story as it goes now is that Jesus is walking 40 days and nights in the desert. But in this real version of the Bible, he is actually just on a spacecraft with the play RNs. Okay. So are you are you telling me that like we really enjoy uh when pop punk goes Christmas? That's like our shit. So you're telling me that this is Bible goes alien? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. It's like everything is mixed out for like an alien version. And specifically with the play RNs, which is very interesting. Honestly, that makes a little bit of sense with me because if you know anything about the Bible, which, you know, maybe our listeners do or don't, I'm sure I know you know the story, Brie, but you know that when they were traveling in the, the desert, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant with them. And inside of it was this thing that they called manna that they ate. And that's how like they survived out there. And I always got very space vibes from that. Like very like it's a space nutrient that a higher being had developed in order to like they don't have to live off plants and animals like they eat this thing that they make and like that always reminded me of that so it's interesting that he specifically links that bible story to them being on a spaceship because then that makes sense what if the spaceship is the ark of the covenant and the manna and stuff that they're eating inside is like the weird alien goopy soup that the aliens eat well listen i'm all about the ancient astronaut theory i agree but i cannot see how these books are specifically mentioning that jesus is on a spacecraft with the play RNs. all right all right. Who's like his specific contacts, the play RNs. Okay, I get you, I get you. But I like I like the idea of where the story can go. Yeah, I like the idea as well. Also, apparently Jesus never died. He was in a coma. He was chilling. And his real name isn't Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. And they made that up. So like after he was in his coma and he like peaced out, they made it up that his name was Jesus and added all this extra stuff about him, which isn't true. Jesus was really just a man. He wasn't anything special. He didn't have any special sauce. I mean, again, I, I know that a lot of this sounds like very bullshitty and Billy Meyer sounds like a, a crackhead, but like <laughs> I, I'm digging the vibes. I like it. I like that Jesus is not really Jesus. I like that he was in a coma. That makes so much medical sense to me. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm digging this theory, man. The problem with that is sometimes I think rational theories mixed in with bullshit are what makes people gravitate towards that because there's little bits of pieces that makes perfect sense. Oh my gosh, this is what we've been missing this whole time. 
But then there's all this added bullshit in there where you're just like, what the fuck? That sounds like the building blocks of conspiracy theories. Anytime someone starts to claim that they're a prophet, I immediately red flag. That's just like very strange to me. I get you. So so we're doing uh, Valiant Thor, Venusians, and uh, claiming yourself as a prophet. Yeah, pretty much. All right. I, I like our running tab of, of red flags. So we're keeping it pretty, pretty tight. Get it right. Get it right. Get it tight. Get it right. Get it right. Get it tight. I found you, Miss Alien Booty. Oh. Drop it back and bring it back to me. Uh. So these Playarans tell Billy all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And he's able to travel in the past and he's able to travel in the future with these Playarans. So he has seen post-apocalyptic versions of Earth where we could probably be going down the road if we continue our destructive behavior. So one of the things that's really interesting about Billy's case are the mounds of not only prophecies but photos metal alloys like samples and sound recordings of the crafts as well just in 1964 he took over 1200 pictures so many people which i think is crazy so many people have claimed him to be or have claimed him as a contactee to hold the most photographic proof for pictures And everyone, everyone listening to this podcast has seen at least one of Billy's pictures. Billy's picture, the one that's looking over the Swiss countryside, is the picture that is in the X-Files for the I Want to Believe. So that poster, anytime now you see I Want to Believe, that's Billy Myers' photo. Do you know what I'm talking about? Wow, yeah, the X-Files one? Uh-huh. And now you see it on t-shirts, you see it on keychains, they've taken the same photo, it's, it's everywhere. That is Billy Myers' photo. That one is not too bad. There are other photos, though, that are just, in my opinion, horrendous. There is one photo that is very well known as the wedding cake UFO, and it is very close up. Well, most of them are really close up, but then there's other ones that look like they're up from afar. They're very close up. It looks like the lid of a trash can and then silver ornaments glued all around it. I have heard a dispute about this photo. I'm going to send it to you, and you're also going to put it on Instagram so everyone can see this photo and make up their minds for themselves. But it has been analyzed quite a few times. One was supposedly from a man that works at NASA, Dr. Michael Mallon. And so this wedding cake UFO, and just in particular, has 65 photos and a five-minute video of it, like, flying around in the air. Holy poop. Yes. So like I said, up close, it looks like a lid of a trash can, and that's a very well-known thing. People are like, oh, that's a trash can. But there was a photo analysis done by a professor, Raul Zayi, in 2013. So most recently, he did this photo analysis analysis zooming in on the reflection of what looks like an ornament like the ornaments that are glued onto this craft he basically is able to put it in relation to the size of this ornament and then the size of the trees in the background, like the reflection of the ornament, and comes to the conclusion that Meyer must have been like 20 feet of the object and that the object must have been 14 to 21 feet in diameter. So for him to get a picture of these photos, the object must have been at least 40 feet in the air so that it could couldn't have been a trash can lid. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't I, like it. I, you know that I don't like when numbers get involved when you tell me like how wide something is or how far off the ground is. I don't like it. I don't like any of it. It, so, it sounds like bullshit to me is what it sounds like. And he did make a video about it. I think you can watch on YouTube. He's basically like drops the photo in and then like adds all this stuff and does the math. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. No, that gives me flat earth vibes. That gives me flat earth vibes. Like, no, no, no. I can prove it to you. Let me show you in my YouTube video. And one of the things with Billy's case is they're like, you think he's a crazy man, but yet you think he could make all of these elaborate photos, and this was before Photoshop, and all of these excuses. But the photos themselves just don't seem realistic. There's a few photos, like I said, the one above the Swiss countryside that we all know, the I Want to Believe poster one, sure. This wedding cake UFO, absolutely not. Like, it screams sci-fi at me. It almost makes me angry. And I, I wanted to believe this guy's story, but when people start to make prophecies and they don't come true, I'm immediately like, no. And what's worse, in my opinion, is some people look at these things as things that he actually predicted correctly. 
so one of the things that the play RNs told him was that, uh, this was like back in the day, they told them that we're going to get ourselves into a World War Three. Well, in my opinion, I think that is a really easy thing to throw that out there as a prophecy. Like if that happens, that's not a surprise that it seems so probable. I mean, realistically, World War One and World War Two happened in a blink of an eye back to back from each other. So of course, it, it is safe to assume that a third eventually is going to happen. Exactly. But I guess, supposedly, Billy claimed that the play RNs told him a long time ago and that this was published before anything happened, that the United States would get into another war with Iraq and that the president that puts us into this war, his father would also be a former president. So we're talking about the Bushes. The metal, it's been tested. They said it's not anything from here. It would be crazy for him to come up with this metal or to make this, but who knows? Now, Billy, because this is in Switzerland, he created basically like a UFO religion out there. It's in German, of course, but it basically translates to free community of interest for the border and spiritual sciences and ufological studies. They have basically like a commune out there in Switzerland. They've got people, his followers out there. They're working on the farm. They're all there because they believe in Billy's stories and they're out there to see the ships and the play RNs. You can also join this group uh, for a lovely annual fee. And then kind of the more in-depth you get into this program, the fees are a bit additional like on top of that and you also have to commit to spending time actually there on this property like helping out and doing these kinds of things. Billy's official representative for here in America is Michael Horn. I feel like I overall sort of don't believe Billy's stories because of Michael Horn. Now, I don't want to make an enemy out of out of anyone, especially because I know for certain that he has come after people that have talked negative about Billy and stuff like that. I just don't like that what I've heard him say in particular is things like that most people that come out with these abduction stories if it's not already fantasy then it's military it's my labs but we believe in my labs but to say things like if it's not military then this is like a fantasy and I've heard him say things like what makes people think that they're so special that aliens you know in outer space are going to come all the way down here just to visit them and I'm thinking isn't that the same kind of thing with Billy though like why would we why would we say that Billy is the one and only and he kind of perpetually keeps saying that Billy is the one and only Billy is the best Billy is the only one that has real scientific proof and I've seen other people say the exact same thing you either a hundred percent believe a story and somehow he is the one and only true contactee or his story is completely disregarded. That's kind of how he is in this ufology community. It's completely split down the middle. A lot of people say he's that he's a hoaxer. So I just struggle anytime someone says I'm the one and only. I, you know, am the best. And, you know, you can't believe anyone else that talks about ufology because they're only in it for the money and people are talking about things that they don't understand. Well, I'm into it and so we look into it. So I just felt like some of the things he said felt like a personal attack. You know, I was like, well, that's rude. So sometimes it's hard for me to believe that story just because his representative is the one that's saying he's the only, he's the best. Now, if someone knows, because I couldn't really find out, if someone out there knows, please let me know if Billy has said that himself. Because if Billy hasn't said that, then maybe I'll take more credibility to his story. Maybe it's just that his representative is out there saying that, and I'm not going to, like, bash on someone just because their so-called rep speaking for them is saying that. But if Billy is for sure saying, no, I'm the one and only, then I for, for sure 1,000% sci-fi that entire story. There's no way. There's no one and only. Honestly, the story to me is a big giant sci-fi. I'm, like, not into it in any way, shape, or form. I'm just like, or whatever it's just nuts that's what i'm saying like it, it's too there's too much for me to even want to try to understand it like there's just so many red flags that are being thrown that i'm just like i can't i can't billy you sound crazy uh, the whole idea to me is crazy i could believe in like et's play rns but once all those details get in there i mean come on like they took you to meet jesus and he supposedly has pictures of like the past like when there's dinosaurs here and there's just like things like that it just gets too it's 
it's too much. The story is way too much. I 100% agree with you. If they are from the Pleiadian star system, like I said, I could believe that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see the Pleiadians as being a, a place where aliens come from. Absolutely. Pleiadians are already known as being like probably the number one Nordic race. They're going to kind of talk about either the Pleiadians or the Venusians. Mm -hmm. The Pleiades is about 400 light years from us. It's in the constellation Taurus. It's a small cluster. Everyone sees it. There are about 3,000 stars in just the Pleiadian system. So it's very well plausible that there are many planets out there. And we do see references of the Pleiades across multiple ancient cultures. We see them in artwork, even in places where they're kind of these mega structures or places where they're considered to be sacred grounds. We see them in, in the Caco Canyon and Mesoamericans with the Mayans. We also hear about them with the Cherokee. They claim them to be the original star people. Over and over again, we hear that the it's actually the Pleiadians that are our real ancestors. We've talked about in Wyoming, the Devil's Tower, all of those versions of the stories with all those different native tribes all came back to the Pleiades as well. Do you remember that? It was yes, like, I remember that story. They're praying to the Pleiadians or they became one of the seven sisters, as it's well known because you can see the seven stars there. That all comes from the Pleiades. Back in the 1800s in Leso, France, there's cave drawings, one of the first depicted, like way before even language was written. That's coming from the Pleiades. We see pictures of it in the Sumerian tablets, god-like beings, and we see the Pleiades star system there. In the 1600s, we have the Nebra sky disk that also shows the constellation Pleiades. So we have over and over again, back in our ancient times, they are basically saying that these are like the founding fathers of humanity. And it goes back to what we've been talking about, kind of this like interbreeding, maybe the seeding of humanity. And one thing I thought was extremely interesting that we've covered a couple years ago, everyone knows the asteroid-looking object that came from a different solar system. Amamomo, Amamimu, Mimami, Mimumi, Amumamis. How do you say Amamomis? Amuamua. Amuamua. And how strange Amuamua was, right? You know, that drawing that they released was literally just a drawing. Like, they never actually showed us what that shit looked like. They no. They said it was cylindrical, that it was basically a cigar-shaped craft. And one of the things we hear over and over again about these Nordics always ties to either, like, a light ship, so, like, an orb, and also a cigar-shaped object. And what I found extremely worth noting was that an astronomer from the University of Hertfordshire basically backtracked Oumuamua and traced its origins, you know, where, where it came from, where its path was, and traced it all the way back to this object coming from the Pleiades. Oh, funny how uh, how that works. And that was one thing that was like, hey, we have an interstellar object here visiting Earth that they came out about. This is not normal. This is moving extremely quickly. Everyone knows how strange that one was. And it's interesting that they traced it back to the Pleiades. Could this be a Pleiades starship that they just decided to let everyone know about? I mean, it could be. It's just everything adds up here to me that the Pleiadians possibly seeded our civilization. I mean, you have all these cases that we talked about that are literally basically saying the same thing, that these Nordic-type alien beings, whether they be one race or multiple races, these blonde-haired, blue-eyed human-like creatures are coming in. That is the reason we have the human population we have today. And it makes perfect sense to me, honestly. I, I would agree with you. Factor sci-fi, Billy. We, fa we sci-fied. I'm sci-fi hard, sci-fi hard. I'm going to sci-fi Billy hard, but I'm totally facting the fact that the Nordics and the Pleiadians are like our ancient ancestors. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I think we've, we've both, we both believe that to be very true. And so many people that believe that they are starseeds are always talking about the Pleiadians, that they are themselves Pleiadian. Has this episode at all changed our minds about the Venusian uh, red flag? I feel like we've made progress in this episode. We've definitely made progress. I think I think we sci we sci-fied too, but we facted too, and there was some Venusianness going on there, and it, and we didn't turn away to it. Agree, but I'm more inclined to go with the Pleiadian. Maybe call it bias. It is what it is. 
Elizabeth April told me I was Pleiadian, so I got their back. And I am a tall white Zeta, but that's another story for another time. Bree, I have something for you. What is that? I have a Travis Walton quote of the day. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. I've come to realize that the biggest problem anywhere in the world is that people's perception of reality are compulsively filtered through the screening mesh of what they want and do not want to be true. That's extremely true. And even even for us, dude, I'm not going to lie. Like, we're the same way. I think everybody is. That's why I thought it was an important quote this episode to read because there I, there's so much truth that I think to this day that like just in general and even me and you find ourselves doing it, catching ourselves that like, again, with these red flags when it comes to Venus, we're looking at it through the filter of it being bullshit. That's true. Oh, my lanta. Well, I'm glad that we covered this because there were so many ties. Billy Myers and Travis Walton are two very well-known cases. I think it helps to just kind of tie them into this whole overall episode here. And there's another race that possibly could tie with the seeding of people and ancient tribes. And we're going to get into that next week. Oh, you're giving a little sneak peek, a little, little tasty taste. A little lick of the tit, a little squirt of the acid. Oh, a little the acid tit. <laughs> All right, Brie, I love you dearly. You are literally my angel from heaven. You you know what? Mountain View, California. I hope every single one of your residents, residents wake up in the middle of the night at three at three thirty-three in the morning. And I hope that you are all awakened with acid boobs in your mouth. That sucks. I'm always awake at three o'clock. It fucking sucks. Anyways, I love everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Hit us up with any questions and also please let us know if you guys agree with anything that we said tonight. Maybe you believe Billy's story. Maybe you have something that I left out. Maybe, you know what, you saw a Venusian and you need to tell us about it. Give us a call on our hotline. We still have that. Oh, side note, we did get a weird voicemail. You can go into our email and listen to it. I'm not sending it to you. It is like four seconds long. It is just a woman whispering help. And then it dies. And I'm like, I, I don't want to, it feels cursed to me. I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, that is so sad. By all means, but it's just a weird, like, help. No, I don't want to get creeped out. That's what I'm saying. It creeped me out. But, you know, call us and leave us creepy voicemails, guys. We're into it. We love you all so much, and we will see you next week. See you next week.